how happy is the blameless vessel's lot. The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Is there any risk of brain damage? Well, uh, technically speaking, the procedure is brain damage, but it's, it's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. What won't I miss? It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and it's time to discuss a journal sunshine of the spotless mind, but they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this. I'll just read this as is, I guess. Long pause. Really long pause. Ah, uh, we're starting with a poem. What is this, Annihilation Minute? Am I right? This albatross cannot take flight. Its wings have been broken. Its heart ripped from its chest. But it dreams of returning to a happier sky. An old familiar rhythm still beats beneath its breast. This albatross cannot take flight. Its eyes have been blinded. Its feet chained to the pier. But it dreams of a sky that may never have been. A future without any fear. This albatross cannot take flight. Its hope has faded. Its will bent at the wrong angle. Where dreams should have gone and reality's true direction somewhere in shadows are tangled. This albatross cannot take flight. Its wings it has allowed to be broken. Its heart coaxed from its chest. But it dreams of a happier sky while listening to an old comfortable rhythm from deep within its breast. Well, that's sad. That's gloomy. Ooh, and the same guy that wrote these notes wrote that. A little self-indulgent, don't you think? Maybe just use, you know, published... Oh, The Mansion of Forgetting by Nicholas Samaras. The marble floor was cold and had dark veins coursing. Through a blue-skinned evening, we found ourselves here. The purity of amnesia in a new house. Which way now? I bump into my old body. What had I told you? Suffused with moonlight, cast the warping of window panes across the manor floor. Elongated bars. We would discern the furniture of impermanent things. The sheeted mirror giving its muted reflection. There is a birth in disaster. A strange freshness. There are people who correspond without name, and I have known their anonymity. What? I thought I had wanted to say, but in this house, thought is an unimprinted child who meanders. Which way now? I let go of your hand, let go. My hand, weave forward through the shroud of many rooms, arms out before my face. Eh, maybe cut the second poem. Go back to just the that sad and that's gloomy shit. Don't even do the self-indulgent. Fuck it. Pause. Oh no, maybe leave it in for this. Well, that might have been better suited for the end of the film. After the beach house collapses and Clem runs upstairs and Joel starting to remember. And I also remember that order doesn't matter in a story like this. The original script started years in the future. In the shooting script, Joel and Clem won't go to the Frozen Charles until much later. And in Joel's head right now, nothing is orderly. Nothing makes sense. It's all heartbreak and pain, and I'm glad there's no Carmen and barely any Naomi, because for us in the audience, we don't need too many side quests. Carmen, by the way, is the receptionist at Joel's work. She's unimportant. For the story. For the people in her life, of course, she might be everything that matters. But the movie doesn't need her. Naomi, since you might not remember her name, is Joel's ex. 
in a script they just got back together for a one-night stand. The night before Joel meets Clem again, which doesn't make sense to me because that would be the night he had his memories erased, which maybe that was part of the self-destruction. Also, in the script, Naomi was working at their shared apartment so she couldn't go to the beach party when Joel meets Clem the first time. And when Joel got home from being at Clem's apartment, he called Naomi before he called Clem. The best stuff in her deleted scenes is all the shots of Joel's apartment and so many more skulls and skeletons in his decor than we really get to see in the film because Joel is an artist, but he's a shutdown, probably doesn't show his art to anybody kind of artist. Bullied as a kid and maybe conflating getting caught masturbating to getting caught reading comics, he's interested in death, the end of things. That he and Clem can make a game of pretending to murder one another is everything you need to know about how well they relate. And the corner of the apartment where Naomi sits typing away is strangely empty of decoration, like her space and Joel's space are entirely separate even though they occupy the same location. Naomi was played by Ellen Pompeo, who'd been in a few things already but was about to star in Grey's Anatomy. One of the earliest memories that gets erased, which would have been late in the film of course, is Joel talking to Naomi in the park about how they are unhappy. Exterior, park, day. Joel and Naomi sit on a concrete wall. She's eating. He's picking at his food. And the park is such a wonderful place for this conversation, if it weren't for all the other people, mostly framed as couples, a few groups of three, going about their lives. Maybe some of them are trying to end their relationships as well, or trying to start them. There are so many extras in this scene, or given the way this film was made, so many bystanders, that every aspect of life is probably represented. The old man with the broom and the dustpan. Maybe he's close to dying. Maybe that younger man with the bicycle is talking to his doctor on the cell phone. Cancer. Or his girlfriend and she's pregnant. Or his best friend from high school who was in the city this weekend and wants to hang out. Maybe that guy in the red jacket is worried about his friend who just got deployed in Iraq, wondering why that war isn't over already when they caught Hussein two months ago now. Maybe that guy wearing Hatakia is worried about government surveillance of the mosque he frequents. Maybe those two young women across the way are friends and they both want to be more, but they don't know how to take that next step. Maybe that boy in the blue shirt is planning a robbery. Maybe that guy with the dog is out there in the park because he's trying to spend more time outside because his husband is leaving him, or they just adopted a kid and the responsibility is too much, or he's been having trouble sleeping and thought that some sunlight would do him some good. That old man sitting right by Joel and reading the paper. Maybe he just signed obituary for someone he used to know. Maybe it's heartbreaking. Maybe it feels like the universe finally doing something right. It's a public space filled with people. Anything and everything is happening all at once. And Joel is being his usual, introverted, mumblecore self. And things with Naomi are not the bright and happy relationship he imagined. And then he went to the beach and she stayed home and he met a woman with bright orange hoodie and green hair. And her name is Magical. And she was immediately intimate and casual and friendly. And she would compliment his dour serenity and maybe make him feel more alive than all those skulls that decorate far too many shelves in his apartment. But it isn't his apartment, is it? He lives there with Naomi, and their relationship is as dead as he feels inside some days. Naomi, so what's going on, Joel? Joel, uh... He hesitates. The angle changes to show more of the crowd. I don't know. The angle changes to focus on just Naomi and Joel. A few people on benches far behind them are out of focus. This is the couple's moment. We've been, I don't know, sort of unhappy with each other, and... The camera looks past Joel at Naomi and the crowd past her. It's Joel versus the world in this angle, and he's losing. Naomi, don't say we when you mean you. Back to the both of them, from the front. Joel, I think maybe we're both so used to operating at this level that, I mean, 
How can one person be unhappy? If one person is unhappy, both have to be. She's already closed up her food container, grabs her purse, and gets up. I mean, don't they? Naomi. Bullshit. Who is it? You met someone. She's not wrong. But she also joked about him getting laid when he left at the beach party, and it didn't feel much like a joke. She starts to walk away. He gets up quickly to follow. Joel. No. I just need some space, maybe. Cut to moments later, the two of them walking. The public space is their space now. It's the moment of truth. Naomi. The thing is, whatever it is you think you have with this chick, once the thrill wears off, you're still Joel with the same problems. She's not wrong, but also the film has better ways of making the same point. We don't need to get to know the ex and lament for this relationship. Now they are framed from behind, that plastic sheet between them so Joel is clear and the moment is going away, Naomi walking away. Joel, it's not somebody else. Beat. It's not. She keeps walking. Joel looks around like he can see the blurriness. Cut to a park bench. The city behind it is blurry. Joel sits down, looking around at this blurry space. In voiceover, he says, I hate myself. And the camera moves in, and even he becomes blurry, and it would have been a strange transition, because from there, the film would have gone to the bookstore for Joel to ask Clem out. In the film, we get to that scene from Mary and Stan in the street outside Joel's apartment. She just found out her memory had been erased, and you sandwich that between Naomi and Joel asking Clem out, and Joel's coming off more like the monster Mirzwiak is. Erasing each other, that's fair play. But the other people you erase from your life, and they're left to live with it. We don't need reminders of that as we're coming into the end of the film, and the wake of the devastation that is Mary's revelation might not flow so satisfactorily into Clem and Joel deciding to try again. The film needs less cannon fodder, not more. But anyway, we're on the insert shot of the Lacuna card as minute 26 begins. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Eakin, Clementine Krasinski has had Joel Barish erased from her memory. Please never mention their relationship to her again. Thank you. Lacuna, Inc., 210 East Grand Street, New York, New York. We hear the soon-to-be-familiar erasure sound, the crackly one, not the beep, as Clementine's name disappears from the card. Cut to Joel. Joel. What is it? Rob. Off screen. I don't know. It's some place that does a thing. Succinct. Simple. And it tells us less than the card did. Back to the insert, and now the whole card goes out of focus. In the earlier draft of the script, Rob didn't show Joel the card deliberately. Carrie, agitated, interrupting. Joel, honey, we have to feed the dog. Would you just wait here? Just a second. Joel nods, confused, as Rob and Carrie leave the room and close the door behind them. Joel hears a hushed argument ensue in the hall. He notices the dog asleep on the floor. He grabs a magazine off the coffee table, flips through it distractedly as he paces, puts it down, picks up another. A subscription card falls to the floor. He picks it up and is about to shove it back in the magazine when he sees it is not a subscription card at all. It reads, Clementine Krasinski has had Joel Barish erased from her memory. Please never mention their relationship to her again. Thank you. Lacuna Limited, 610 11th Avenue, New York, New York. Joel stares at the card, incredulous. Later, Rob and Carrie are now back in the room. Carrie continued, You weren't supposed to see that. Joel, they can't erase memories. It's a joke. It's a nasty Clementine hoax. Carrie. Sweetie, we called the company. Joel just stands there. Close up of a vague dictionary page. Voiceover. Lacuna. Noun. 
a blank, a missing portion, especially in a manuscript. Interior, Joel's apartment, night. Joel is on the phone, pacing. Carrie's voice. You can't tell her, Joel. They explained that, like waking a sleepwalker. It might have a devastating effect. And we get the drive that we got under the opening titles. Interior, Joel's car, night. Joel drives past a vague local landmark. Carrie's voice. Think about it. To be told you lived an existence of which you have no recollection? Joel's voice. But what am I supposed to do? Carrie's voice. Move on, sweetie. Joel's voice. How can I? How can I move on when I know I'm the only one to carry this love we had? How do I do that? A little incel energy there that this film does not need. Then we get the shot that started the opening titles bit. Interior. Car. Night. Joel in his parked car next to a fence surrounding a drive-in movie closed for the season. He weeps. The windows fog up until the outside is completely obscured. Then it's mostly what we get in the film. After the card goes blurry, we get Joel walking on Grand. But that plastic sheet has the city behind him blurry, which suggests to me, after recent conversations on this show about the extent and potential overshoot of memory erasure, that this whole street might be getting erased along with Joel coming to the office. What if there was a restaurant here that he used to love? An art supply place that was the only supplier of his favorite pens, and now he's going to wonder how he ever bought them in the first place. Or maybe they were a gift from Naomi, and maybe he should get back together with her. She was nice. Nice is good. She loved him. Joel circles as he walks. He can see the space around him is out of focus. He isn't Joel then. He's Joel now. Cut to the window above the door. Lacuna Inc. 424 and the camera drops to the door as Joel arrives and a distant car alarm sounds. Joel, yellow card in hand, hesitates only briefly before opening the door and going in. The interior door is not the exterior door. That is, on the outside, the window that says Lacuna is above the door, but from the inside, there's a window in the door and it says Lacuna, which is an inconsistency that might easily be written off as the fluidity and imperfection of memory. Also, perhaps the changing addresses. There's a chandelier above the entryway, which feels like too much for the generic doctor's office waiting room to the left. A rack of magazines with a plant on top. Some chairs. A coat rack that holds nothing but a single umbrella hanging by a loop of string. We hear, answering the phone, Mary, off screen. Good morning, Lacuna. Joel walks into the waiting room. The camera pans over to Mary, phone tucked between head and shoulder as she is also putting labels to envelopes on a cluttered desk. No, I'm sorry, that offer expired um, after the new year. We're on Mary now, from the front. Sheet of labels, stack of envelopes, a calendar book and a receipt book, a fax machine, a printer, a shredder, a desktop computer, a nameplate, Mary's Fivo, and a small dish of candy hearts because it's almost Valentine's Day. Yeah, sure, we can fit you in. She checks the calendar and we reverse to behind her. Camera rises past a tissue box, a couple of red roses that look fake, a guy sitting on a couch in the waiting room and filling out a form on a clipboard, to Joel, waiting for Mary's call to end. How about on the 5th? That's a Wednesday. All right, great. Could you spell that, please? Joel has the card in his hand still, and we cut with his eyeline to the Epson Stylus C42UX inkjet printer to Mary's left, printing more cards. Chris Knorr has had someone's memory erased. Linda Chen has had Eric someone erased. Okay and we'll need a daytime phone number. Back to Mary. Great. Have a nice day. See you then. 
We're behind her again as she hangs up the phone and says, without looking up, May I help you? Camera rises to Joel again. He doesn't make eye contact either. Joel, I'm Joel Barish. Mary, off screen. Excuse me? Joel, I'm Joel Barish. I have an appointment with Doctor. Cut to Mary, and she says the name before Joel can. Like she's used to people pronouncing it wrong, or she just likes to say it. It feels nice on the tip of her tongue. Mir's back. She grabs a clipboard out of frame and passes it to Joel. Here, could you please fill this out? Joel stammers and we cut to a new angle, from behind Mary but framing her whole desk and the window into the waiting area, the window to the street beyond that. Joel, I just want to talk to him. Mary, you still need to fill. Lacuna needs to protect their intellectual property and the privacy of their clients, of course. Plus, if he's already filled out his paperwork, answered some personal questions for sure, Joel may be a little more pliable once he gets past the waiting room. But that's for next minute. Thank you for listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. And you can follow all three shows on one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drop Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. This is it, Joel. Oh, God. It's going to be gone soon. Okay, we'll so I know. What do we do? Look, we're going off. Can you hear me? I don't want to say-